SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Do I think that five or six major streaming services are going to be able to survive? Probably not. From Disney's Vault of Movies to Netflix's original programming and early entry into streaming, services are trying to find different ways to stand out. Everybody across the land, here's a special from SequelCast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. This time around, we're doing a show on a special topic. It's been a while since we've talked about um, technology and, and random things, but we're going to talk about streaming services and how that affects what we watch in our homes and, and how we watch it. I think when, when we started this show in uh, 2009, it had, um, it was really just Netflix and Hulu, but I should introduce myself. I'm Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is uh, William Thrasher. I don't have a quote for this one because we did not watch a movie. That's right. And, um, I mean, streaming services have changed so much since we started the the show. We just had maybe Netflix or Hulu, and now there's like five million of them. Every single channel, whether you've heard of it or not, has their own streaming service. And so I think you get a lot less with what you pay for a subscription than you used to when all this stuff started. Yeah, that's definitely something that we'll have to address as we as we go through this. Is who's allowing what to be streamed, where and why? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's exclusive content and what isn't? And 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 I think that's one of the the biggest changes. Is back back when we started, there was no exclusive to streaming content. That's something that we've seen evolve over the course of the show. You're right. Everything was licensed from you know whether it's Hulu, it was stuff on Fox or A and E or whatever. And Netflix, they didn't start with streaming, with original content. I think Lily Hammer was their first thing, which was a a series set in um, oh in Norway or Finland or something, starring one of the actors from The Sopranos. was their first streaming thing, and that wasn't for a few years after that. Because um, making your own content is, is expensive, right? You have to produce a show, you have to cast the show, you have to make it. But then once you own it, you own it. You don't have to pay people to, to do repeats, to have it on your service you can put it on, take it off as you like. You can sell it uh, on physical media like Netflix has done with, with some of their shows. Uh, and also, I mean, that's a question. Where does this streaming services leave physical media? Uh, well, I think streaming services would prefer it if there was no physical media. But I, I yeah. still insist on getting things on CD and, and DVD because even, even if the technology changes – I still want to be able to watch that stuff when I want to watch it and with nobody having Mm -hmm. the right to take it away from me or, or, and I think part of the reason I'm paranoid about that going to an even older technology, which was syndicated television multiple times in my life. uh, I grew up in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, 
uh, we lost whole channels for sometimes months at a time due to these syndication and affiliate wars that we would sometimes get in our market for whatever reason. Right. Even things like... um... When you said syndication, the first thing my mind went to is the show, the first time it airs in syndication, it's the whole episode, but then often sub- subsequently it has a minute or two deleted to make more room for commercials. Som- sometimes more than that. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you want to hear about how shows can change for syndication, uh, listen to some of the uh, Simpsons audio commentary tracks. They will often talk about what got cut for syndication and why. They will often talk about baffling cuts that were made by by networks or whoever organized the syndication package. The The episode about uh, of Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 1 and 2, the commentary for that is particularly uh, informative because one of the things they talk about, there used to be a machine, a straight-up machine called a 10%er that was often used to adapt shows uh, to syndication where you'd you'd put your master tape in one end and it would basically go through and delete frames so that coming out the other end, it would then record a copy tape that was 10% shorter but without technically having to cut any whole scenes. So in animation in particular, I bet that would make it look choppier in some cases. Some, sometimes it can, and it's, it's funny because, the, and this was, uh, uh, Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2, that episode ran so long, they ran it through the 10 percenter before it aired. So the the version, the the final finished version of that episode was already 10 percented when it aired for the very first time, and then it got 10 percented again for syndication. And once you know that happened, you can really notice the difference. That episode moves at an unbelievable clip, and the characters talk very fast. Wow. Um, yeah, and you want to talk about, you said, oh, I don't know if I'm paranoid, but I don't think you are, and I'll explain why. You know, one recent example that happened is we had... Uh, two celebrities have scandals, and, and before this, both of their respective shows were available in full on Hulu. I'm talking about Roseanne Barr and Bill Cosby. Oh, yeah. With Roseanne Barr, she made some uh, racist tweets, I think, about a, a politician or something that, that caused her to be—they uh, had just revived—the timing of it was quite poor because they had just revived Roseanne uh, back on TV after 20-plus years— had a very successful first season, and because of that, she was fired off her own show. Roseanne was renamed The Connors. Oh, that's right. They, they continued the show, and like mm-hmm. within the show's narrative, she died off screen or something. And they made the reason of her dying of, as a drug overdose. Oh, yeah. Was it opioids? Oh, yes, <laughs> to mm-hmm. sort of stick it to her. Um, and, you know, there's a whole separate thing. If a comedian makes it, I mean, there's a difference between a joke and racist, racism, you know what I mean? And because there's that guy that got fired from SNL, but that's neither here nor there. More to the point, the other guy, Bill Cosby. Uh, sex crimes. Mu- yeah, heavy, multiple sex crimes. He's serving prison. Uh, and he, he got a case appealed all the way to the Supreme Court um, that he says, you know, he shouldn't have been jailed to begin with because of some technicality. So we'll see how that goes. Well, what, what really, I mean, that, that I mean, I mean, the, the, the crimes he committed, that that's terrible. But yes. one of the, the fallout from that incident, uh, there was actually there was an article going around a while ago that Malcolm Jamal Warner was working at a Whole Foods. Well, that's in part because that was a ridiculously successful show. 
an actor from the Cosby show could live off the residuals, but if it's not airing, there are no residuals. So, so by, by, remo- oh. by pulling that from syndication, you've also pulled the livelihoods of several of its actors, Malcolm Jamal Warner being, being the most visible case. Which is a shame though, because he's also a good actor. Like I, I, it it shocks me that he's not in something right now. Yeah, he's even pop up now and then on on talk shows and, and things. And um, yeah, I don't quite know why that happened. Acting is a tough business. They 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 eat their young, right? They like people when they're <laughs> younger, and they don't like keeping older people on, or what was the older older people of color. Well, I was on um, what Johnny Carson has said that television is the only medium that eats its own young. That's right. But tie, um, tying that into streaming, that's something that I've, I've never gotten a clear answer on, is how do residuals work in in streaming, especially when it's a service that does not have ad revenue? Well, I mean, this is something with the the Writers Guild that they've had to, and presumably SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, and all this stuff has had to fight for, is initially um, the, the studios and the content producers tried to say, oh, you're, you don't need a percentage off of streaming. That's going to be nothing. That's going to be a fad. And of course, that's not what happened and, and they've had to fight tooth and nail to get a piece of something and some of these services do have have ad revenue and i think what, what hulu did is, is very forward thinking we'll see more things uh, along those lines cbs does this as well where you have two tiers of paid service if you choose the cheaper version there's ads if you pay the more expensive version per month there's no ads except on a few programs where they couldn't negotiate no ads um and and my dad always reminds me when cable television premiered, the promise was no commercials. That was a promise that the medium did not keep. Nope. And that oh god, and that, and that ties into one of one of my frustrations with the current streaming environment. Um, lots of lots of cable networks make a lot of their programming available to stream online, often often with ads. But in many cases, you don't get access to those streaming episodes unless you're already paying for the cable network. Oh, that's maddening for like Food Network or Bravo. Yeah, that. But I still would not subscribe to cable on my own. I just use we use Xfinity for internet because that's all you can really pick out here in Oregon. The the competition it's much slower and it's much cheaper, but it's too slow for my needs. Uh, and with all of this going on, I mean, I'm also kind of thrown for a loop with on, let's say you have cable, you have on demand, on demand, you can still pick things for sale, the mixture of stuff for sale and for free on the same service. Amazon Prime <laughs> is really bad about this. It's kind of misleading and they make it difficult to search for stuff that's free only, um, especially in the console app. Actually, relate, related to this, so my parents, uh, so I just got back from visiting my parents for the holidays, and they used, they used, to, actually, no, I think they still do now that I think about it. They have an on demand feature with their cable service, and I will often sort of pick through that. Uh, and one of the things I love, I love it when new mediums are emerging, because I think that's when they are they're at their most daring, but it's a daringness that comes out of desperation. You know, they're just, they're, they're desperate for content. I mean, we, we would not have mystery science theater 3000 if the young comedy channel was not desperate to fill two hours of air. Um, 
And the same thing happened with streaming. When streaming started, there was a lot more uh, experimentation. There were a lot of like micro shows. I don't know if you. I don't know if you remember. It was like Happy Shiny Chicken Machine Show, which was a parody of Japanese game shows. They were all about ten episodes long. Ten minutes long? Uh, no, it, I don't remember that one. It, Ron Jeremy guested on an episode, and they have him wear a hedgehog costume uh, as part of a weird sketch. But uh, anyway, but uh, they're on demand service. Uh, when it started, it had a lot of weird stuff. Like it had all like the the reruns you would expect, but it also had these bizarre uh, anime packages. It also had uh, st- it also had streaming content from Something Weird Video, which is one of my absolute favorite proprietors of old and obscure and largely lost and ignored media. And of course, now that now that their on demand service is more established. It doesn't have any of that. It just has reruns of current shows that you can watch whenever you want. You also have the rise of streaming services that are free, but with ads like Tubi or I think Pluto TV or some of these things, um, which can have good content, but it's just fairly random. And also the way the commercials are kind of stuck in there is... uh, especially when you're watching a movie is often can be in the middle of a scene. Yeah. Tubi. I, I do enjoy Tubi and I've talked about it, uh, several times. I mean, it's T T U B I. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really awkward ad placement. I, 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 I assume they just have some algorithm that looks yep. at the length of the total video and just guarantees that you will have an ad every like 20 or 25% of the length of the thing, even if that means putting an ad in the middle of dialogue. Uh, But Tubi has something that I really do look for in a streaming service, which sadly you can't find, and that's old stuff. Tubi is completely random, but because it's completely random, it has some old stuff, going. some of it going back to the 50s. It also has a lot of the stuff that used to be on late-night cable in the 80s and 90s, a lot of, like... A, a lot of like stuff from Full Moon, a lot of stuff that would show up on USA's Up All Night, uh, which I do appreciate. Some of that I've had a, a really fun time revisiting, um, but it's it's not anywhere else. Uh, uh, other other streaming services really tend to push new content and their own their own content they produce in house. There's really no streaming does not support the history of television or film when it comes down to it. It does not, and and uh, to your point. They make it really unclear when stuff is going to go away. So, you know, maybe you're, you're you're strolling through and you're like, oh, they're showing the Mel Brooks movie Life Stinks that no one likes. I'd like to see that this Thursday. And then it's Thursday and they fold it from the service. Well, at least with Tubi, it's funny because Netflix used to do that. If something was leaving Netflix, there would sometimes mm-hmm. be like a little note in the descriptor like this is leaving at the end of the month. Yeah. Uh, and I think they may have even had a leaving soon section. I don't think I've seen that on Netflix in ages, but with Tubi, they do have a leaving soon section. It's just, if you, if you're looking through their regular menu, you've got to go pretty far down to find it. I see. Um, so it's not like it's not there, although that's another thing that I'm, I'm not sure streaming services have really figured out is how to organize their content. Um, we, when when Disney Plus came out, we both talked a bit about Disney Plus, and one of the things I find yeah. infuriating about Disney Plus is how poorly organized it is and how horrible the search feature is. You know, when I search for the name Donald Duck, the fourteenth thing I find is a Donald Duck cartoon. I got to go through. Se- there's several Star Wars related things that I will see in my search results before I get to Donald Duck. But everything is like that. The only thing on the website that's at all well-organized is Disney through the decades, which you can't get through from the main menu. You get that through a sub-menu on their search menu. 
Yeah, and what's really going about that is to um, to get them up and running for Disney Plus. Disney bought out a, a streaming video company for one billion dollars, and that's the best they could come up with. Like, if Disney Plus was the first streaming thing out there and the search was clunky and you couldn't find things, like, that's one thing. But when there's been several leaders in the field out there doing their business and you come out with this really half-assed thing that makes it difficult to find things, um, unless, I mean, the one I use most frequently is movies or TV view all alphabetically. Hmm. Just because that way you can at least look at everything, but even then, it's not—it's not even clear what's come, what's adding, what's added new to the service because they're adding new Fox movies and stuff, new Disney stuff, uh, quite a bit. But like, unless you happen to Google a website with an article, new stuff coming to Netflix, new stuff coming to Disney Plus, whatever, like, you won't know, man. And related to related to that. Um... I'm still not sure any streaming service has truly figured out the best way, the best interface for their streaming service. Some interfaces are definitely better than others. And some of the worst interface choices, I can only assume happen because some executives like, no, we have to differentiate ourselves from this other streaming service. So that thing that streaming service does very well, let's not do it very well. Yeah, this... um. I mean, this whole problem of all these different... It used to be Netflix had a lot of stuff, and Hulu had a lot of stuff, and now they have less and less and less. And uh, there's an app uh, on on smartphones that's quite useful called Just Watch, where you type in the name of a movie or a TV show, and it tells across all the different streaming services where it's available nice. to stream for free, uh, or where you can rent it or, or buy it digitally, if that's your choice. And that it's had to come to that is is pretty nuts. You know, to make a comparison, let's say cable TV is $100 a month, just to throw a number out there. Now, if you want to kind of have your own a la carte experience, you might have 10 different streaming services you subscribe to for uh, between 7 to $15 a piece. Yeah, and, and that is, and you know, that that's that's a lot of money. And, and uh yeah. And and my wife and I we've we've gone through that like uh, as far as like how we pay for streaming so we 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 paid for a year of Disney Plus in advance to get that really low price point for the year which mm. hopefully I'm hoping that kind of stays locked in for early adopters I know it won't but I, I I hope it does um, we we don't pay for Netflix because we get Netflix for free because of a special deal we got when we signed up with our current cell phone provider. Mm. Um, we used to pay for Shudder and Hulu, but we only watch Hulu when stuff has premiered on network television that we want to, that we want to watch like later in the week. So that wasn't worth paying for and we were still getting the ads. So we just stopped paying for that. And we, and with Shudder, one thing I do love about Shutter, Shutter has old stuff and it has weird stuff, and they have yeah. fascinating curated content. And I love Joe Bob Briggs and The Last Drive-In. But when it comes down to it, we only watched that streaming service a lot when there were new Joe Bob episodes, and then we kind of would forget about it. So that wasn't worth paying for either. And uh, so, so yeah, we we've done that. We have picked up and dropped several streaming services because of the price point. And it is now that I think about it, it is weird how we have access to the ones we have access to. Yeah, I mean the ones um, my wife and I subscribe to. We we do Netflix. Although more and more, I don't think Netflix is worth the money. It's it's gotten quite expensive, almost as much as HBO. Uh, we have Netflix. We have Hulu. 
Um, we have CBS All Access and Disney Plus we get for free through the, the cell phone provider and I believe that that's it. But even then, that's, you know, that's four services that's, you know, probably eh, like $35, $40 a month. Like that's not cheap. I could spend that, you know, that's not expensive, but that's not cheap either. That's an amount of money. We used to have HBO as the add-on that wasn't really worth it. I mean, if money was no object, I would probably get uh, the Criterion channel. Um, oh, yeah. And also there, there's one I've heard that's good that's an add-on on Amazon Prime called a Brit pop or something or Brit uh, Brit box Brit box. There you go. And I've heard is good for a lot of old BBC programming. Um, yeah. I believe they have a lot of doctor who on that as well. I bet. And um, I mean, gee, doctor, doctor who that's, it's pretty extraordinary. That show has gone on for such a long time. It, and, it is fascinating. That could be an episode on its own, but I'm, uh, I'm glad course. you, you brought up Doctor Who because that does tie mm-hmm. into something um, that I did want to talk about, which is our first experiences with streaming. Oh, um, yeah, go ahead. Be- because because mine does does involve Doctor Who because I, I I was pretty I've always been pretty internet savvy. I had been watching videos in various forms over the internet for for years, but I was uh, I had just recently moved back. I don't know if I had just moved back or before I moved back, but I was I was in Virginia and I and I was hanging out with uh, with uh, my friend Beth. Um, and she had Netflix, and this was like three months after Netflix first released its streaming service. Because if you remember, it started with with shipping discs through the mail, which is a service you can still get. And my very yep. first experience with Netflix streaming is, hey, you want to watch Doctor Who? Sure. She started up Netflix on her Xbox, and there was Carnival of Monsters, which is one of my favorite uh, old John mm. Pertwee episodes. And we ended up watching it, and it was just... And it was just delightful. It's like, oh, I can just press a button on this magic box and get a Doctor Who, a full series of Doctor Who episodes. Well, and the the convergence of um, not just streaming, but with the rise of HD television and with the compression algorithms, that some of the Netflix stuff at first like looked really poor visually, but eventually they, they got pretty quickly. They they got there, like you said, with the Doctor Who and and. Uh, when they got like the the David Tennant, the more modern uh, Doctor mm. Who shows, and that were filmed in high definition to begin with, um, it looked really nice, really crisp. Does it look as good as a as a disc? Looks looks as good, if not better, than a DVD. Does it look as good as a Blu-ray? Technically, um, probably not. Can can most people notice that difference? No. What about 4K? I don't know. I don't have a 4K TV, uh, <laughs> but it, it. I also think now, um, at least uh, my. Who's your internet service provider? Because mine is Xfinity. We don't have a choice really out here. Uh, so my internet service provider, uh, it's uh, it's uh, through the uh, Frankfurt Plant Board, uh, oh. which is uh, which is this, this uh, city and state regulated uh, utility. It's hmm. actually pretty good. Is it? Uh, yeah. s- service is better since we mo- since we moved. Uh, we used to have some outage problems uh, in our old neighborhood. Haven't had that in the new neighborhood. But you know it's. It's not too expensive, uh, and it does what we want it to do. Uh, and I have had, we I think we used Spectrum back when we lived in Lexington. Spectrum was a uh, ten times more difficult to to deal with. So, do you have a data cap on yours? Uh, no, no, we do not. That's great because Xfinity, you do. It's a data cap of one terabyte per month. Oh, that's awful. Which sounds like a lot, but especially if you download a lot of modern computer games or video games. 
Some of them might be a 100 gig download to begin with. There could be a 100 gig patch. And if you have your system set to auto update on the patches, that could get you in a in a rut. I mean, more to this the point of this episode with video streaming, all of that you know eats up your bandwidth. And if you're streaming, I mean, not enough to where you'd blow that if all you're doing is watching streaming. But maybe if you're streaming 4K, which there's still not that much content streaming, which kind of surprises me, um, that eats up you know a lot more data. Um, yeah, the, the the data cap thing is just nasty. Well, and, and that's also assuming you're not secretly getting throttled before all that. And you, and I, I, I do think you are, even though they can't say as such. Oh no, um, no, they can say they won't, because then they would probably get in trouble. Um, so yeah, even if you're, with if the you're FCC listening, rollback. well, okay, if if you're listening to this episode outside of the United States, and based on some numbers uh, that Matt has shared with me, you probably yep. are. Um, the internet service in America, uh, where the internet was invented. Uh, is just as monstrous as our healthcare. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's just this endless game of fuck you that you are playing with your internet service provider. Uh, I don't know if you if you've been listening to us since the original sequel cast, you may remember there's almost a year's worth of episodes where my voice keeps getting distorted and crackling and, and, and fucking up. The reason why that was happening is that our internet service provider sold us a package for high-speed internet that they could not provide to our neighborhood. So every time you heard <laughs> our vo- my voice cracking up, that's when they were trying to use a higher level of bandwidth that w- than was even available. Now, they charged us for this high level of bandwidth that wasn't even available, and it caused all sorts of problems for us. Uh, and when we finally got the problem corrected, did we get refunded for all nope. that bandwidth we paid mm-hmm. for? No, they gave us some free internet security that we didn't even need. Yeah, well, I mean, with um, I'll be quick about this, but with Xfinity, typically, if you're moving in, like I'm, I'm, my wife and I are moving into our, our first house that we've purchased, which is, is very exciting, but, you know, you're a new user. Uh, to a new address, you, the first year is pretty cheap, and we just get it just for internet only, to be clear. Um, but then after that first year, it hikes up maybe like 50%. Ugh. And every year, like clockwork, I have to get on the phone and haggle with them to get that price down and threaten them. And, not threaten, but, you know, just just be a real tough, sometimes nasty guy just to, to, to weasel the price down. And this and, is for a utility. This is for something you need to function in the yes. 21st century. You cannot find a not cannot it's extraordinarily difficult to get a job without the internet to find work to talk to to communicate to as with the streaming services right you have to have the internet for it to work right (laughs) so it's really part and parcel uh so i don't know it's it's come along what way and i think speeds have gotten faster but even you know the latest thing the the, the big isps and the, the states are are bragging about which has been overseas for quite some time is a gigabit internet um and like they want like a minimum of like a hundred something dollars for it a month which i'm not going to pay just for internet it's just Ugh. ridiculous but that seems to hear her there i think we should get back on track back streaming to streaming services <laughs> my first uh thing with with streaming was using I guess Hulu, because I didn't have cable and it had a lot of the kind of network TV stuff I like to watch. Um, and I, before they had a Hulu app on the PlayStation, I 
I think I paid like a flat fee of $20 for some app that let you kind of like do a half-assed streaming from your laptop to your PlayStation that didn't really work all the time. <laughs> so I could pick Hulu or certain apps and it would just mirror it from the computer screen to the... Why I didn't just plug the laptop into the TV in retrospect, I think, would have actually worked. Yeah, a lot of my earlier experiences uh, with streaming were also on Hulu. That was kind of my thing. What little television I watched uh, in like from 2008 onward, actually, maybe even a little bit before, would just be... Oh, no, I guess it would be 2008 onward, is that I would, you know... The day, the morning after the a new episode of The Office would premiere, I would just hop on Hulu. I'd watch watch The Office. I would watch uh, Thirty Rock, you know, uh, Community, what have you. And actually, that's just about all I used Hulu for. Well, no, actually, I take that back. At night, I would watch weirder things on Hulu, old MST3Ks, weird semi-public domain movies while I was drawing in the evenings. Uh, and one of the things that was interesting about Hulu uh, is that they – there was online-only content produced for a lot of those shows that would be shared on Hulu. So, like, The Office, mm. they would often do these little, like, sketches with the characters yeah. and uh, or, like, fake music videos that the characters had filmed. Like the, like the Mr. Understood music video, which is hilarious and has one of my favorite lines. They call me Mr. Understood because no one understands me. Doing that kind of <laughs> CeeLo rap. Uh, but also... They would sometimes stream extended editions or what they would call producer cuts of the shows. So, you know, normally the show would be maybe 22-ish minutes. They would sometimes stream a 40-minute version. Um, and also, uh, ever since the Drew Carey show, uh, sitcoms have been doing the occasional, like, uh, gimmicky live episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, but because it's live, you usually have to do two versions of the episode, one for the East Coast airing and one for the West Coast airing. Um, and normally, and, and in the past, to see the airing from the coast you weren't on, you had to hope that it would show up in syndication, which it often wouldn't do. And if it did, they wouldn't tell you which version you were seeing. But on Hulu, they would have them both back-to-back, -back, East Coast version, West Coast version. And it hmm. was so fun to watch and compare and contrast. Um, and, and that, and that was great. And one of the things that kind of shocks me is that as far as like bonus content goes, it's all, when you see it, it's almost always stuff produced as a little side thing for the television series. Like if you go on, on like Netflix, they've got a lot of original content. Very rarely do they have any bonus material. What counts as bonus material is usually like a trailer or, or, or a hype reel, but it's very rarely like some other, some other thing. Yeah, um, the bonus material is a fair point, I think, because in physical media, that was a big thing with uh, Laserdisc, and especially DVD capitalized on this a lot. Commentaries, three-hour documentaries, this, 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 right? All the stuff oh, yeah. that, that film nerds love that I think most people don't watch, unfortunately. And with the moving of all the stuff to streaming, you get almost um, none of that, which I think is a real shame. I will say on Disney+, Plus, they do have an extra section for whatever you're watching, and there is, like, the deleted scenes from the Star Wars movies are on there, which is kind of nice, or at least some of them. Um, oh, cool. And did you finally you hear, see Wedge. Uh, yes, and where uh, you can see the old grandma pilot from Return of the Jedi deleted. That footage is quite oh. odd. It has, they had a lot more human pilots of different ages, kids and old people flying on the Rebellion. But um, I'm going to have to check that out. It's been, it's been a while since I've seen any classic Star Wars deleted scenes. Yep, uh, but with, what was I going to say? 
with the um did you hear what disney is doing for the big star wars skywalker saga set no okay given that it's a disney they're going to overprice it right and they're going to oh, yeah. they're going to do limited edition make it hard to get just like they did with the marvel phase one and phase two box sets mm-hmm. so for the skywalker saga a 27 disc set now keep in mind it's blu-rays it's a 4k disc and I guess a bonus feature disc for each movie. So three times nine is 27. Mm-hmm. Like $275. Which is, strikes me as quite expensive. And I'm guessing it's going to like come in a holocron or a giant phasma head or something. Um, it, the At least the best buy packaging looks like a Death Star. And it, so, but yeah, I mean that, the, the pricing of that making it limited edition I mean, I've bought Star Wars five million times. I don't need to buy it again. I think I'll buy the <laughs> the movies I'm missing on on Blu-ray. But it's just one of those things. I don't know. You when when you bought bought Die Hard for the fifth time, you start to really wonder, what am I doing? Yeah, that's that's a, a thing we can we can. The, I guess that's the, the the plight of if you are really into physical media. You know what happens when a new when a new version comes out. Um, and, and that and that is something that I will use to make purchasing decisions, you know, often what has the most special features. But, like, re- mm-hmm. related to streaming, that is something that has long been promised is streaming with more robust special features, particularly, like, audio commentaries. But yeah. I think the only time we ever really got that was in the old Simpsons app, which had the audio commentaries on it. And now you do not see those in The Simpsons on Disney+. Plus. Yep. Not only that. Uh, talking about how with streaming, the, the studio controls the content and they can screw things up. The aspect ratio, to make a consistent viewing experience, Disney decided <sighs> to make all episodes 185 to 1, meaning they would fill up your entire widescreen TV. Well, the first, uh, what, 16 and a half, something like that, seasons of The Simpsons were 4 by 3. So when you stretch it, not only do you distort the image, but you also cut out visual jokes. Yeah, the the most infamous uh, sort of example of this is going around online. There is uh, the Duff Gardens episode. Yes, yes. Yeah, where they take the tour and they talk about there's Duff Classic, uh, Duff Dry, and uh, Duff Light. And there's like these vats, but then there's only one giant pipe and all the beer is coming out of the one pipe. Well, in the cropped version, not only can you not see the labels on the tanks and clearly know what he's indicating, you can't see the pipe. So the joke is completely destroyed. It's just empty dialogue. Thankfully, with the Simpsons example, enough people complained, I think including writers of the show and stuff like that, that Disney Plus said like, oh, we, we were trying to do the right thing. Um, we'll, we'll give no, it a you full frame. No, mm-mm. but like we're we're gonna do a full frame option sometime in uh, early twenty twenty. Yeah, I think, I, and I think that's the that's something we're gonna end up doing more and more is having to really fight to preserve these artifacts of the outdated format, which are necessary to appreciating the material. Right, and I think what we have with aspect ratio, with um, I mean, it happened a, a bit with the move to to high definition TV, but I think more so on streaming. The streaming services would prefer all the content is 185 to 1, that it fills your screen. For whatever reason, the mainstream uh, viewer feels that if the program I'm watching doesn't fill my whole screen, I'm not getting my money's worth. That's not how art works. uh, No, I agree. I think it's ludicrous. I worked at Blockbuster Video for a few years and (laughs) Suncoast Video. Like This complaint came quite a lot. 
maybe more so because I lived in Georgia than other places, but still. So to show you how how like pervasive that is, so when when Godzilla versus Biolanti was released on home video in the United States mm. uh, through I think HBO Video at the time, yep. it was released in full widescreen, and that was considered to be a mistake, and those tapes were recalled. Can you explain what full widescreen is? So as opposed to fan, uh, pan and scan. Yep. So so keep in mind, this is to go, this is meant to be viewed on an old analog uh, television. Well, of course, those those were filmed in a cinematic aspect ratio, like mm-hmm. most movies. And normally you do what was called pan and scan, where you'd run the movie through a machine and it would let you, it would let you crop it down to to the size of a standard, the format of a standard television. It was called pan and scan because the machine had this little slider and you could slide that slider around to change what was being cut off. And so you could always make sure that something key was on frame and you could prevent any awkward framings caused by the cutoff. But with Godzilla vs. Biollante released in full screen, you got everything that was on the cinematic screen, but with like a black bar on the top and bottom so that the the theater-going experience was was. Uh, preserved, but as it turns out, lots of people didn't like seeing those black bars, and and even the publisher of the of the movie thought that that considered that a mistake and tried to recall those tapes and replace them with pan and scan versions. Thankfully, a lo- uh, a lot of those were uh, the versions of the movie sold to uh, independent rental stores. They didn't let their tapes be recalled <laughs> because they don't want to have something that they can rent for money to be taken away. So. Uh, you could still see it widescreen if you rented it as opposed to bought it. Yeah, and I think some, sometimes you're seeing that one thing I've heard with the Buffy the Vampire Slayer, at least if you're streaming it on cable, is um, the, the show was uh, full frame for the first, oh, I think like five seasons out of seven. And they've turned those into widescreen. And by the problem is by by doing it with the original elements, you're seeing stuff you're not supposed to see, like the cameraman on the side of the screen or the microphone. Production assistants, production yeah. Assistance and that's another interesting artifact from analog televisions to digital and streaming uh, is that the old analog TVs did cut off a handful of pixels at the edge of the frame, mm-hmm. uh, and normally that's that's not a problem. But there, there's an infamous story that uh, Futurama there's a, there's an episode that's a big Starship Troopers parody, um, and a, like three months before the episode aired, they did a sneak preview of it at uh, San Diego Comic Con, and there's this infamous scene where Zat where all the all the male characters are having a sh- are, are showering in the barrack shower. And Zat Brannigan just kind of comes out naked and has a whole speech with the characters. Well, it turns out the uh, when you see it on a television, you don't notice this, but the digital version that they played on the projector, which does not have that same TV cutoff, it looks like you're seeing the first inch of his penis. <laughs> When the entire lower half of his body would be completely cut off when it airs on a, on a standard television, did that make it funnier? <laughs> uh, I, I heard people were sort of shocked with delight, um, but uh, no one really wants to think about Zap Brannigan's penis except Zap Brannigan. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but but related to that and, and tying that uh, back into streaming. Uh, they also, as I also recall, they changed the color temperature of some of those Buffy episodes in the streaming version, mm. and yeah, that's yeah. 
And those elements, that can be frustrating because one thing that, that was long a problem with DVD was audio mixes where everything was sort of mixed assuming you had a, an impressive sound setup. And so as a result, you'd have a movie where the dialogue is ridiculously quiet, but the explosions are ridiculously loud and it made it impossible to, li- to watch the, the, the t- thing without turning the volume up and down as you go. That's that's creeping into streaming services now. Like... Uh, when we watch The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, the music and the sound effects are really loud. The dialogue is really low, and there's just no ideal volume to put it to. Right. I mean, some some um, home theater setups now have have a feature that lets you boost the dialogue, where it's essentially boosting the the center channel, uh, where the dialogue is typically placed in a surround mix. But it is certainly. Um, I, I do recall the Return of the King, like DVD, had that problem or anything. You have big battle scenes and the music and stuff is swelling, and then characters are whispering because it's very emotional scenes, and uh, you have to kind of jockey uh, jockey between everything. Um, and and with streaming services, uh, you're also getting a bit of a paradox. Where I'm thinking of, of Disney again, but they had a show in the '90s called Gargoyles that was kind oh, of yeah. it was kind of their answer to Batman the animated series in some way. You're trying to do a more uh, animation aimed more at teens or adults as opposed to, to children. And um, the only versions that came out on DVD, and I know this not because I, I'm a fan of the Gargoyle show necessarily, I'd like to get into it, but I just worked at a video store at the time. They released season one and then season two, volume one and two. Never did season three as a DVD release. Now on Disney Plus, all three seasons you can watch. So if someone wants to get a physical copy of that last season you can't also like <laughs> yeah. extreme ghostbusters uh that's on hulu streaming i don't think it's a that great of a show it's only one season but there's no way to get a dvd of it in the united states you could have a a region free or a region 2 dvd player and import the german dvd set of extreme ghostbusters well, that, that speaks to something else as far as like this sort of hodgepodge nature of streaming rights, and and it it's it's exemplified by uh, Star Trek Discovery, the the new and currently airing Star yeah. Trek series, um, which in the United States is exclusive to CBS All Access, the CBS network owned streaming service. But if you live in Europe, you can stream it on Netflix, mm-hmm. and you could stream it the moment the show premiered. You did not have to wait. Oh wow. And in fact, I do know a handful of people who use these like sort of IP spoofing yep, services yep. that make your streaming service think that you're in another country so you can watch that country's content. And that is kind of frustrating. It is frustrating that I've paid for that, like, you know, well, that, you know, I have I, pay, I have legitimate access to Netflix. Netflix has legitimate access to the show I want to watch, but it won't let me watch it where I live. Right. Well, I mean, even even as close to us as like Canada, what's on Netflix is is different. And even, you know, you want to talk about collecting, you know, DVD releases. There, there's stuff in Canada that came out that never came out in the U.S. And Canada stuff you can play in a U.S. Uh, DVD player, no problem. Um, doing, when I, I uh, doing research for my uh, Uwe Boll books I'm working on, uh, the first of which are the video game movies is available on Amazon.com at a reasonable price. That's what we call a plug. Um, Thrasher, why don't you plug something for no reason? Because we're getting near the end. 
Oh, uh, well, uh, presumably it will be going live by the time uh, this episode uh, posts, but uh, check out the Fading Suns Kickstarter. There's a new edition of the Tabletop RPG Fading Suns uh, coming out. They're doing a Kickstarter to help help launch it. Uh, And uh, I am a contributor to this new revived version of the game line, so definitely check it out. Unfortunately, I think I still can't say what I wrote for it, but I have written for it, and it will be available soon. Very exciting. Um, so, but yeah, to sort of, I can't remember the point I was trying to make. And anyhow, something about streaming. <laughs> something about streaming. Uh, I think we've talked a lot about streaming and, and home media and all these things here. Um, and yeah, I don't, you know, I'm at this point where my TV's good. In a few years, I wouldn't mind getting a new TV. I think when I when I the new PlayStation and the new Xbox are out for maybe a year or so, and are get 50 bucks knocked off the price i might at the same time in one fell swoop get those and get a 4k tv to kind of take advantage of that stuff but i don't plan on buying 4k discs of, of things i have because my collection i think is like 2000 dvds and blu-rays or whatever now this is mm-hmm. counting like a tv show set that might have 30 discs in it or something but it's uh but yeah i don't know what where where things go from here if it's streaming only if if it if uh, stuff being split up so much drives more people to piracy, I have no idea. Uh, well, I think piracy is gonna, is going to come back. I mean, we've we've already seen a resurgence in that with uh, with Game of Thrones recently, which was only yes, available yes. HBO uh, in their their DVD releases and through the HBO the two different HBO streaming services. And I think I think that's that's going to come back because you know while yes. You can like if like like for instance in the case of Star Trek Discovery, yes, I could pay for just one month of CBS All Access and watch all of Discovery, but I really value being able to watch stuff when I want to watch it. And the idea that I'm going to have to blast through a show uh, that it turns out I might not even like in just one month, yeah, and then got to go through the jump through the hoops of then canceling the service afterwards, just is not attractive to me. No, and then doing a blind buy, especially on a TV show set. They did release Star Trek Discovery on disc, but um, because it's Star Trek, it's not cheap. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. You know, Star Trek, like Doctor Who, like HBO, makes their stuff expensive. So we'll see We'll see what the future holds. It's, I think it's still in a transitionary period. Um, what uh, NBC is having their own streaming service called Peacock, which is a stupid sound. I, I understand why that's the name, because that's the logo. <laughs> yeah. it, it sounds like... A, Sound a dating bad. service. A dating service. Peacock dribbles its content out to its listeners. Uh, <laughs> oh lord! And you know, I'm, I'm surprised we got this far without talking about Sony's uh, streaming platform, Crackle. Why that that still is up? I have no idea. Like it's always been free. The stuff they have is so random. It's like random episodes of Seinfeld, a few episodes of the Starship Troopers cartoon from the '90s, the, the Joe Dirt sequel, Godzilla. Uh, oh, that yeah, right. They did have some original content produced for that. It is fascinating. It's it's fascinating because like when it has something you want, Crackle's great. When it doesn't, what the hell is Crackle? Yep. And that they never did a paid tier. I think that that was a missed opportunity for them because Sony does have a big uh, library of films. Uh, you also have, um, oh my goodness, what is it? Yeah, uh, Warner Brothers is coming out with HBO Max as a streaming service, which is different from HBO Go or HBO Now. So wrap your head around that one. Um, and, and, and then, of course, th- there's also the DC Direct yeah, streaming service. You're or, right. DC Unlimited. And, yeah, uh, DC Unlimited, which yeah. you know has all the DC Comics-based stuff. And I believe there's also some like overlap between the upcoming 
because that's owned by Warner Brothers, so is HBO, and so there's some other overlap with the upcoming HBO streaming platform. Like, there's stuff that's going to exist exclusively, but on both of those networks, but maybe there's a bundle you can get where you get all of them. And Cartoon Network has a, a streaming thing just for Boomerang, I think. Yes, where all the, the, the classic Hanna-Barbera cartoons go. So, I mean, needless to say, there's several dozen streaming channels, services out there, some free, some not. I suppose we can say that streaming is a mixed blessing, a land of contradictions. Yes. And, um, but as, as a compromise, I do like things like Plex, where you can, if you so, if you have the time and the drive to do so, I suppose, you can have your own streaming service out of the stuff you already own. Which is what we use here with a sequel cast, too. Yep. It makes it very easy to line things up when it's not in a current streaming service and we're all on the same page. And I mean, back in the days when Netflix was just DVD trying to set that up between us was really difficult to be like, Oh, I'm, I haven't got the DVD yet. We can't talk about that show, but <sighs> okay. So, I mean, we had a good discussion here allegedly about streaming <laughs> services um, for sequel cast to uh, I'm Matt catch me on Twitter at M A T W B T and on the Apple podcast app, leave us a tasty review um, you can also email us, sequelcast at gmail.com, and go to Facebook, search Sequelcast 2 and Friends, and like our page. And of course, I'm Thrasher. You can find me on Twitter, at uh, Internet Mayor, uh, and uh, wherever, wherever fine books are sold. And listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. So uh, for Sequelcast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, oh, That's that, a Netflix startup sound. Yes. I, I did like that Bandersnatch episode of um, Black Mirror. Did you see that one? The Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh, the Choose Your Own Adventure, yeah. which I'm shocked there isn't more of. That's like that's an experimental format that has a lot of possibility. They had. There's also yeah. old content you could bring back. There was a Choose Your Own Adventure D and D DVD movie. Why not stream that and keep the choice options? Why not stream the Star Wars VHS board game? Oh. I would I would love to dig through some of those old board games yeah. with, with that came with a tape. Why not adapt some of those old full motion video computer games like Ripper as as like Netflix episodes or something and see Christopher <laughs> Walken in grainy full motion video uh talk Take, talk about Jack the Jack the Ripper's in the future. We have to catch him. It's a terrible Chris Walken. So 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 it's the plot of time after time. C- Cyberpunky, but yeah. All right. Hi. <laughs> yeah, we, we went too far. <laughs> <laughs>